welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner, VP of Marketing at Topcoder. What I love about today's episode is that we have a true trailblazing freelance rock star herself, Julie Cortez, I'm with us, and she's known as the Copy Diva. She's a big-time force for freelancer good, and when she's not creating amazing content or ad campaigns for her litany of clients, she's teaching the art and skill of freelancing as an adjunct professor at the Kansas City Art Institute, where she actually created her own course, aptly named Freelancing 101. She's also a public speaker and business coach for fellow freelancers and the founder of the Freelance Exchange of KC, which is Kansas City. For those that don't know, we're going to talk about all that today. So without any further ado, Julie, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Upriser podcast. How is everything going in your world today? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you are absolutely welcome. So you know how podcasts go. Sometimes you, wherever you kind of pick up a podcast, sometimes you go back in time, you listen to a few others, you go back to the very beginning and want to know the origin story of the podcast. In our world, I like to connect the dots. I'm a big fan of like The Price is Right and a big fan of Plinko and you get to place your chips down and it knocks around and sometimes you get the 5,000 and sometimes you get the zero and that's okay because you get another chip and you knock it around and see how you do next. And in the world of networking, I came to know you through Matthew Matola, the author of the Human Cloud book. He's been on the Upriser podcast before. And I said, Matthew, man, I know you got an incredible network and you got a real good sense of who's who out there. Can you give me a bit of a spectrum of who I ought to talk to? And he sent me a short list. And guess what? You were like either one or one A. Like, he's like you got to talk to Julie, man. So like, you got you to gotta talk to Julie. She's, uh, she's got a, a awesome stuff going on. And we're going to get into all that awesome stuff um, on Upriser as we get going right now. But I do have an icebreaker for you, Julie. So if I throw the date, March 27th at you, that's it. Just close your brain, close your mind. March 27th, what comes to mind for you? Well, it's the day after my birthday, so that's really all I got. It depends on, was it a weekend? Was I out partying the night before for my birthday or not? <laughs> so maybe March you know, March 26th was your birthday. So maybe March 27th, you got the bag of ice and you're recovering nicely. But of course, you're back to work with your, with your amazing customers. Right. The reason I bring it up is because March 27th is my birthday. So we, we share back-to-back birthdays. So we both have that Aries thing going on, that big Aries energy. And we haven't met yet. You know, this is the first time we're meeting, but I've watched some of your videos. I've read articles that you put out and you use the hashtags be bold and be badass. Uh, and, and of course, you're rocking the, the magenta hair and you got the background. So this energy that you portray, is this the authentic always on Julie or is there a, is it is a bit of a character that you have out there for your clients and consumers? What's, what's the truth here, Julie? This is the true me. What you did. There is no character here. I am all about authenticity. And, you know, it took me several years to get to a point where I was comfortable in my own skin and, you know, being able to show people who I really am, whether it's the pink and purple hair, the, the piercings, the tattoos, what have you. And, and I'm just at a point now where if somebody doesn't want to work with me because I look the creative part, 
then they're not my target audience to begin with. So I, I own it. <laughs> yeah. As, as my mom, my mom would say, they can go fly a kite. Right. So that's uh, it's all good. So, Hey, so you've made an absolute professional life up, you know, really about the freelancer lifestyle and being an independent worker in the greater freelance economy that everybody talks about, you know, so well before the name gig economy even existed, you were helping customers for like over 20 years now as a freelancer. So just kind of rewinding the clock back a little bit, was this kind of always the obvious path for you or did it kind of open up for you as your life evolved? You know, I am absolutely nowhere where I thought I would be but everywhere I'm supposed to be, 100%. So I went to school for advertising. I got my degree in journalism with an emphasis in advertising, knowing I wanted to be a copywriter. That was a no-brainer. And I went off and I got a job on the corporate side, managed to make my way over to the agency side. And then like many freelancers, I lost my job. Mm. It was really bad timing with what was going on in my personal life. I was uh, planning a wedding. I was building a house. It was just not a good time. And so I was like, I'm going to try this freelance thing in the meantime and see where it goes. And y'all, that was more than 20 years ago. And I have yet to look back. Like my journey has taken me all sorts of twists and turns from being the cop, just a freelance copywriter to finding the Freelance Exchange of Kansas City and now teaching and speaking and coaching on all things freelance. Like, this obviously was my destiny and I just didn't know it, but I am here for the ride. Well, you're here for the ride and you're creating the ride, right? So like the ride didn't exist and you're laying the tracks as, as you're steamrolling down, which is super cool. So I love the path less traveled story and, and the, the willingness to, to be that kind of pioneer for a for a different path, really, just to, yeah. just to look at it and say, no, I, I can carve my own way here and gain a lot of individual freedoms and the ability to innovate in that. So what are the big differences you see from people that like say they want to do it versus those that make it their own like you have? I've been on both sides of the equation, quite honestly. So I have experienced the side of like, is it really for me? Is this really what I want to do? You know, to hell yeah, you know, there's no way I'm looking back. But I got to say that it's all about attitude and mindset. You know, you have got to be your own boss. You've got to set your own office hours. You've got to work those hours. You know, even if there's no paid work coming in the door, there is still work to be done. And so I feel like those who have a more motivated, more determined mindset, those are the people who are going to succeed. The people who actually sit down and do the groundwork, they get educated in the things that they need to get educated in, whether it's legal aspects or tax issues or even just business basics, right? So many of us went to school to study our craft and didn't do business classes because either they weren't required or we didn't think we would ever need them, right? You've got to know how to run your business. So they go and they get educated. They sit down, they write a business plan, they write a marketing plan, they get coaching, they get trained and and they are in a better mindset. They're in a better mode and they'll have better chances of success going forward. For me, it just sounds like, you know, um, when do I get nervous? I get nervous when I'm not prepared. And it's not, I'm not perfect at that, but at least I know it, I recognize it. And I know that, if I've got the kind of presentation coming up or whatever it is, if I prepare the right way, then the, the nerves are not there. Then it's, then it's more about, okay, how, how finally can I execute? And I'm, and I'm thinking about follow-up and the things I got to do. To me, that's, that's what was kind of screaming to me is like, those are all things about 
preparing for that journey, which in and of itself could be a little harrowing for people who, like you said, that's not what they went to school for. Maybe they're an awesome designer, but they don't know just how to kind of PM their life, if you will, because maybe they expected to be in some big glass building where they were just designing for a cool brand. And it's just not the way it shook out. Are there any particular um, tools or platforms, things that you just go to things, not, not that it's an advertisement for them, but just things that you really do enjoy using that make that lifestyle a little bit simpler for you? Sure. You know, there are a multitude of uh, software tools and applications out there that, that you can use for, you know, communicating with your team, for project management, for keeping track of your finances or your mileage or what have you. And there, there's just a litany of stuff out there. Yeah. You know, many of them have free level platforms, um, you know, or you could get like the basic, you know, cheaper economical version of it. Um, you know, for me, QuickBooks Self-Employed has been amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it's been great, not only from the financial side of things or the tax side of things, but they track mileage too. Yeah. So all you have to do is just swipe on, you know, on the app and, you know, is this business or personal and, and go back in later. And it's, it's been really a, a great savior, if you will, for the freelance life. That's cool. Now, and I'm glad, glad to get a little bit of that out there too, because you will get a mix of people who listen to, to Upriser. And I bet you they're going through a lot of the same things, a lot of the same ways in which they could track their progress and track their, their work. So things like that, I think will help, uh, help that side of the marketplace too, which is really cool. Speaking of really cool, you know, I love the fact that you didn't just stop at being a really great freelance copywriter. You know, that, that's great. Sure, living-wise and everything else you want to go do, awesome. And really maximizing your, your time value, uh, which I think is another way that individuals who are in the freelancer, uh, freelancer economy can really, really uh, take advantage of it is, is maximizing that time, whether that is to say yes to the next gig or say no, because you want the time off to go do something else, which is still super valuable. So what came first for you? Was it, so I know there was a couple of things you mentioned earlier. There was the freelance exchange of Kansas City. And then there was also, you, you were, we mentioned you became an adjunct professor where you're teaching Freelancing 101, the course you actually created. So which came first and did they kind of interplay with each other? So the Freelance Exchange of Kansas City came first. I developed that back in 2003. I was about five years into my freelancing career and I was just kind of looking around. I'm like, I have questions. Don't mm. all these other freelancers, don't they have questions too? And uh, so I started kind of feeling things out and I just sat down one day and I emailed about uh, 50 people whom I had in my Rolodex. Yes, that's how old I am. We have a Rolodex. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just emailed these freelancers that I knew and I was like, hey, let's get together for lunch. I want to, you know, bounce something off of you. And we got together and the freelance exchange was born. They had such great ideas. You need to do this. You need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. I can't do it alone. I'm a one person shop. So, um, you know, we ended up forming uh, a board of directors and uh, within six months we were set up as a 501c6 organization and off we went. Um, we had over a hundred members overnight and it was amazing. And from that, like so many opportunities have come my way because of that, you know, people think I'm this freelance expert. Well, I don't necessarily carry the title of expert because I'm more humble than that. And I like to think that I'm learning something new every single day, just alongside everybody else. However, um, it's afforded me so many different opportunities. You know, interviews like this, being interviewed on TV, on the news, on the radio, uh, newspapers and magazines. And then, of course, like people wanted me to come talk to their organizations, talk to their companies, come talk to their classes. And as I started to go around the different classrooms and the different universities and art schools here in Kansas City, it was like, 
you know what? I mean, it took me a few years, but it was like, hey, light bulb moment, Cortez, you are only addressing like one hour worth of this subject matter. And really, this is an entire semester's worth of content here that people need to know. You know, I mentioned this before, we go to school to learn our craft, we don't learn how to run our businesses. And that's so integral to everybody's success. And I just finished my fifth year doing it. I love it. Love it. Never in a million years, if you had told me that I was going to be a a professor teaching a business class and at an art school, like all three of those things just blow my mind. But I, like I said before, I'm absolutely everywhere where I'm supposed to be. So things happen for a reason. I'm a big believer in the the philosophy that kind of action begets action, like especially good action. Well, bad actions too, to to be frank, right? Bad actions beget actions too, but they usually, usually go the other way. But that, you know, taking risks and doing things that are, that are, positive, even if you don't get there right away, there's some offshoot of there that really trends positive. And I think that um, the freelancers that I know that are super successful and different folks that participate in in the greater gig economy, when they kind of have that at their core, they tend to just, it's almost like they keep lucking into, if you will, cool new things. And that's why I, I literally would go back to the game of Plinko. Plinko, sure, there's some luck, but guess what you need? You need as many chips as possible so that you could hit as many pegs as possible that in your network so you can land in the 5,000 and not just keep hitting the gutters, hitting the zeros. So what really struck me when you, when you started the exchange was the idea that you were humble enough and smart enough to, to recognize, I have questions, others probably do too, and I know from Jump Street, I can't do this by myself. So the first natural thing you did was open source and kind of crowdsource within within that expert community or versioning community to say, what am I missing? Right? I think there's a really cool parallel story to, to my world and our world, the top coder. Top coder started as um, coding competitions and we're going to do high level work with geniuses from around the globe. And in 2001, if people were like laughing at the idea, like, yeah, okay, good luck. 20 years on now, it's becoming pretty commonplace that of course you could work virtual talent and stream people in because duh. But one of the early hurdles we hit at TopCoder, we were really down the path of data science and, and uh, algorithmic problem solving early, early stages. That's, that's how we kind of got going to grow the community was like, let's just go after data scientists and early state and mathematicians and computer scientists. We would put out these really hard problems and that's how, that was the gravitational pull. We'd put out hard problems with the prize and people would just kind of start flocking. And then just, just like people like to go play pickup basketball, we had algorithmists who were like, ooh, I'm going to go do another top coder challenge. And it got to the point where we couldn't write challenges hard enough or fast enough. Like just with, with the people just inside top coder, we couldn't do it. So somebody inside a meeting was like, why don't we ask the community if people out there want to write some of these challenges? And it literally changed the, the, the mindset overnight. It was, you know, it was always about the crowd and about the community, about the genius. And then it was started to be like, well, what other layer and what other value can we extract from them and keep pushing them to the highest level thing they can do. And let's just see what, what they keep producing. It's amazing how much, um, how much amazing work these different individuals can do when you provide them with some clear direction and the trust, the trust to say, no, no, I, I know your skills are good. I've seen them. And go, you know, go do this next thing for this customer, this huge customer. But it all started with that. We can't do it ourselves. Like there's more, there's smarter people in this community we created that can really help us move this forward faster if we're just willing to A, admit that, right? That's number one, admit it. And then right. B, Trust enough that if you put something out there to smart people openly, you're, you know, most often, very most often going to receive 
way more, uh, way more positivity than you, you probably expect? Well, I mean, I think it's super important to realize you don't know it all. Like, you know, I, I see some of the most talented people who lose their jobs and they're like, well, I'm going to give freelancing a try. I'm really good at what I do. Um, so I'm totally going to make it. But then they don't because mm. they don't know what they don't know. And there's so much to learn. And, and many of them in, in my industry anyway, just they have these egos where I don't know where they come from, but I know it all and I'm super talented and I win all the awards and therefore I'm going to make it. But that doesn't mean you know how to run a business. That doesn't mean you know how to find clients, right? So that humbleness is so important. And then also to like know your strengths and weaknesses, right? So you surround yourself with smart people. I knew in forming the freelance exchange, I didn't know how to code a website. I didn't know how to put together a member directory. You know, I didn't have the time or the wherewithal to do all of these different events and do all the things that people wanted me to do. And so that's when I had to bring in an army to help me, you know, and I, and I feel like, yeah, we definitely have those similar experiences where You've got to bring in other people, even if you are self-employed, even if you are a freelancer, it's important to your success. There's nice parallels there that, that I think um, whether you're sitting and listening to this from an enterprise perspective or an SMB perspective or a student right now that's like trying to figure out what am I going to do in 2021 and, and, and what, will, will, right. what will become this post-COVID environment? Um, it's just, it's really good to understand that going outside your four walls and, and being vulnerable to that usually brings in more than, than you're going to realize in, in a positive way, which is kind of cool life lesson nugget. And I do want to spin it back to the Freelancing 101 course. So you mentioned you've been doing that for five years now. So I, I'm interested in two things. Number one is, what were the early signals to you that this course was really going to be wanted. It's really three parts. So were there, again, lots of folks, tepid interest, et cetera, et cetera. And then what, what's happened now since we're 15 months since, since COVID hit, so much more of the world and the business world and, and just individuals have flocked to freelancers in some way to either make more money on one side or just keep productivity high from a business perspective. So I know that's three parts, but I'm confident you got this. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> when I was going around to the different universities and the different art schools, you know, giving my little freelancing 101 spiel and, uh, and all the students were like super engaged and had lots of great questions. And I, and I just kept thinking, why isn't this taught in schools? And then I was like, you know what, Cortez, you can do something about this. And so I did. Now, that first year, um, I was pretty nervous, which is so funny because I usually don't get nervous, but I was nervous just, it wasn't a public speaking thing. I was like, do I really know what I'm doing? It was almost like that imposter syndrome thing, you know, coming over and uh, and, and people just kind of looking at me and, and seeing that I'm nervous and whatnot. My class was full that first year. I had 15 students that first year. Nice. A couple dropped out at the beginning and that happens. Um, so no big deal. But since then, my class has grown and there's been a wait list every single year. And uh, my chair was like, hey, you know, can you, would you mind bringing in a couple more students? I'm like, sure, there's room in the classroom, you know, so that's fine. So then I've been averaging, I don't know, about 18 students for the last few years. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And um, I had the opportunity to go back and teach on site or I could teach remotely. And I'm like, well, no, you guys can keep your COVID cooties over there. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, There's no reason I can't do my class online. And so um, it wasn't even my chair. It was like somebody up, 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 I don't know, the dean or somebody in the school was like, all right, well, we're going to negotiate here. If you're going to be online, I want you to take on more students because they want to take your class. I'm like, okay. So I had 20 
this last semester. And I was like, okay, I feel like there's something here. I don't, I, of course I want to say it's, it's me and I'm so popular, but no, it's the class. It's the class. This stuff is so much needed. And it's, it's especially at this art school that has both fine artists and commercial artists and graphic designers, illustrators, photographers, what have you, like most of them are going to leave school and be running their own business. And so I posed the question to my chair and I was like, I'm only teaching this one semester a year. I said, what do you think about me teaching it year round? Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I don't know if you'll have that many people, you know, you might have 12 per class as opposed to 15 or now 20. Because I'm thinking you're just going to have 12. I was like, let me try it. So like I said, I had 20 this last semester here, the spring semester. And now we're, you know, looking at the fall. I have 20 in my class already. And that doesn't even include the wait list. So yeah, I think more and more people are seeing the value of it. You know, the experts were already talking before we were on this upward trajectory of, you know, possibly hitting over 50% of the United States workforce being self-employed in some capacity by the year 2027. However, they were making those projections before COVID. And I think now we're going to hit that number much sooner because more people are realizing how great it is to work for themselves or great it is to work from home. And I don't think they're going to want to go back. My, my take is there's, there's always like, uh, I try to avoid hyperbole. And I said this in different, different uprising podcasts before we feel like, Oh, the office is dead because of COVID or this is this, or this like, you know, it's, it's black and white. There's no, there's no mixture of this. It's like, there's just a new divergent path that like so many people now realize through platforms, through skills based things, they can go earn on their own. They can do these things and live a certain lifestyle. And for a certain percentage of that, that is growing. Like that's the, that's the thing that's growing and it's gaining momentum. And I think, I think so much of it boils down to lifestyle, boils down to freedoms that are, are afforded. And I realize there's some risk there. There are certainly risks to exiting or never entering the traditional labor market as it is. And with that, I still think people are weighing the two things and saying, you know what, I, some of those individual freedoms and, and the ability to really carve out what I want to go do can really outweigh something that's like, you know, the, the absolute safety, if you will, of that permanent check. Or sometimes, unfortunately, the things that come along with, with, uh, with labor, like, like healthcare, which is, I hope it gets untangled from work, period. You know, like I'm a free market capitalist. I believe it can be, I believe it can be untangled and still serve people. And there's going to be others that say, well, sure, let the government go do it. You know what? Let's solve for it and, and untangle it from work. Because I mean, how many people do you, do you think just, you know, gut check and how many people do you think and know, um, just stay where they are because of that, that fear of, of movement taught because of something so crucial as healthcare. Thousands, thousands of people do. You know, so many people want to freelance, but health and insurance and healthcare is like so important. In fact, I was just telling the story the other day. I had a friend, he had been freelancing for many, many years, very successful, very good at what he does. And, you know, life happens. And he was in the situation where all of a sudden his wife needed health insurance and she was on Oh, what disability, right? She wasn't able to work. And he was like, I need to get health insurance for myself and more importantly for my spouse. So I need to go and get a full-time job. Well, it just so happens this ad agency he had been working with as a freelancer in the exact department on the exact account he'd been working on, put out a job posting. They're looking for a full-time person um, to do what he does, graphic design for that account. So of course he applied. Unfortunately, 
they wouldn't even give him an interview. Mm. Why? Because he's a freelancer. And like, this just opened up a whole can of worms because it was like, you know, why won't you even consider it? And their, their answer essentially was, you don't want to work a full-time job. You want to be freelance. And he's like, I need a full-time job. You don't get to make that decision for me. I 100% agree. Let's not have health insurance tied to a, a traditional full-time job because, oh, about you, but I work full-time. I work more than right. full-time. Why don't I get to have the same benefits? I don't yeah. think that's fair. There's certainly inequity there that that could be solved for. And that that's the thing. Like it is solvable. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be a screaming match from two different sides that I think both sides probably want the same thing, which is like at the end of the day, hopefully more indi- individual freedom that you can have individual lifestyle and be, be a freelancer. And you could make sure that you have those kind of safety nets covered for in one way or another. And, and I know it's achievable. So, so, so I'm holding out hope for that, that we, we get there sooner than later for sure. Okay, Julie, so I want you to put your, your, your crystal ball, your Mama Cleo crystal ball out there and put on, put on the, the futuristic goggles and project may, maybe 18 months to, to even maybe five years out there. How many people do you think are going to be partaking in the freelance economy from a percentage perspective? I, I think I'm going to follow the experts here, you know, and watching their trajectories. You know, I think it's going to be 50% before we know it. Um, I think we're going to hit that before 2027. And like I said, I think the pandemic has been um, a big player in that. We were, we were already heading in that direction. More and more people are just going to see the joys and see the benefits and, uh, and they're going to want to see if they can make it on their own as well. I want that to be the case. I, I'd probably come a little under, a little bit under that myself. I think we're, I think they said they're about thirty five percent or so in in America as we as it stands right now. And I do think it's going to continue to tick up. I do wonder if there's some uh, saturation point or no. If if it's not if it's not something zero sum. If especially with more and more technology, more cloud technologies, more platforms where people can also also do both. You know, right. they they can have a full time traditional job and because they're good at something and they're passionate about it. Well, instead of playing pickup basketball, if that's your thing, go play pickup basketball. But if you're a copywriter, then maybe you also want to just join a platform that allows you to do that as, as you know, a, a gig economy or freelancer. Um, so I think that that's going to happen too. So I, I, I agree that it'll just continue trending up. I don't know if there's some natural ceiling that, that'll hit or not, but you know, time will tell. I think we're both, both in agreement. So that they, the trends are going to kind of get going to keep happening, which which to me makes it ever more important that bigger and larger enterprises and organizations get their head around how to use freelancers so that they can be productive also. I think there's a whole scene missing on how to communicate with freelancers also, how to have a great relationship and how to have a clear relationship with freelancers so you both get what you want. So you've been doing it for 20 years. What makes the best customers? there's an education that's lacking on both sides of the equation. You know, we talked before about freelancers who get out of school and they know their craft, but they don't know how to run a business. Well, that's also the same on the business side of things. When you're looking to hire a freelancer, they don't necessarily know industry standards. They don't know the rules of the land or the lay of the land. You know, they just don't. Um, Many of them, and and some of them even think that they do, but they don't, right? And so there is this educational aspect. I would say the clients that are open to learning are going to make for the best clients, those who um, don't have any issues abiding by your policies, signing your contracts, giving you a deposit up front, you know, all these things that are industry standard or business standard, if you will, you know, those are going to make for the best clients. Um, Clients come in all 
sizes, shapes and colors and kinds, right? You know, and you're going to have good ones and you're going to have bad ones. So it's just a matter of weeding out the bad ones, finding the good ones. And, and they are out there. You just have to hustle and find them. How do you know when maybe you have to talk with a new client early on that, hey, the way that we're jiving right now, we're actually not jiving. Like what are, what are some signals that hit you where it's like, you know what? I, I want to have this discussion early on this relationship. And what does that, what does that kind of feel like for you? So if somebody says, oh, I'm not going to pay your deposit or I'm not going to sign your contract, like those are two red flags right there. From a freelancer standpoint, you could easily give them something in writing that explains all of your policies up front, you know, such as how you work, your payment terms, your expectations, what happens if a client doesn't pay, like all of these things. You could give them, you could make it into like a, a working with me document. You could put mm. it as a link on your, on the back end of your website that you can direct them to, you know. But yeah, if, if you get into it and you're already past they signed the estimate, they signed the contract, they gave you your deposit and you're off and running and you're working, you know, I think the best case scenario would be to just sit down with them and have a heart to heart, mm. you know, conversation, have that conversation. Don't do it through email. You know, at least if you can't do it in person, and I know with COVID right now, a lot of people are still hesitant to do so, but you could have a video meeting where you could see each other's facial expressions, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be super helpful because, I don't think people intend to be bad people. I just don't think they necessarily understand the process as well, especially on the creative side of things. There's a lot that goes into the process that people don't understand. Oh, you're going to design a, a logo for me. Well, you're just going to go run off and, and draw a pretty picture. But that's not everything that goes into it, right? There's so much more. And so again, there's that educational aspect. So if the freelancer is willing to educate, if the client is willing to be educated, I think that's what makes for an excellent partnership and an excellent team. Sounds like it's willingness to listen, right? And and then uh, a little bit of stepping inside the shoes and allowing an expert to do their thing. Again, I think that goes back to trust and then relinquishing some control, which we talked about earlier when we talked about the, the freelancer exchange that you, that you started. And, and that was kind of your first move was to relinquish control and say, I don't know what I don't know. And I think that's a really healthy place for anybody engaging freelancers and you as the person engaging them. There are things that you absolutely do know. You as the business owner, you know your North Star, you know your vision. It might not be fleshed out yet. It might not look so pretty yet, but I guarantee you in your heart of hearts, you know what you want to go do. So, you know, spending time to, to really communicate what that is, guess what? That's why there's so many talented people out there that can, just like, just like you, Julie, who can help them arrive there. So I think it's a, a really cool place to, to land the conversation to, to that we're, you know, it's all, it's all about having great two-way communications and trust in each other that if the communications there, if the desires on both sides, then, then, then the relationship between the two sides of this, this marketplace can really, really produce amazing content, amazing productivity over and over again. Whether that's an SMB or a huge, you know, multi-billion dollar organization, the approach to using freelancers and doing so at scale to ramp productivity is not going to stop because it's actually a really fun way to get things done, by the way. The dirty little secret is working with people outside your four walls and extending and bursting out to more talent. It's a great way to, to just achieve more and produce more. And I hope everybody could kind of uh, learn from our discussion here today, Julie. So, hey, I do want to ask, people want to hire you. People want to follow you. People want to just know more about you, watch your videos. Where, where should they go look for you? Sure. So you can find me and my website is juliecortez.com. That's Cortez with an S at the end, S as in Sam. 
And uh, of course, I'm on all the social media. You can find me at KC Copy Diva, KC like Kansas City, Copy Diva, D-I-V-A. And I do hand out uh, free tips and tricks all the time, especially on Instagram and Twitter and my YouTube channel. So yeah, come find me. I'd love to have new followers and new friends. Awesome. And it sounds like if you're ever in Kansas City and you hear some, if you're on the street and you smell maybe a wisp of gin in the air and there's dance music that you could, you could, you know, people are dancing to, there's some jam music going on, then there's a, there's a possibility that Julie Cortez might be in there already and you could, you could walk up and you won't miss her. You could go buy her a gin and tonic and say hello and let her know that you heard about her on the Upriser podcast. But Julie, really an awesome time to, to get to know you a bit more and dive into these topics. I love the expertise in the sense that you, you literally created things that did not exist yet. That's awesome. Like when you, when you went out and made things that, that no human had done before and now you're bringing in dozens of people, hundreds of people, thousands of people to kind of stand on those shoulders and they could go do their thing because you've built like a new baseline for them to kind of knowledge for them to jump off of. And I think that's an awesome thing that you've done. So thanks so much for joining us on the Upriser podcast and look forward to hearing from you more in the future. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. You got it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. So it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R. 